Well, it happened, so that means we've got to talk about it. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld, along with 50% of the Thunder guys. Special guest Craig Hofeld along with this. Yes, there is a relation there. You can look that up later on. Um, Oklahoma just gets blasted in the Peach Bowl. Second consecutive year, they get uh, bounced out of the college football playoff. Literally, I mean, in embarrassing fashion. There, there's no other way to say it other than embarrassing fashion. LSU 63, Oklahoma 28. Last year, the Sooners fell down 28 to nothing to Alabama before kind of mounting a little bit of a comeback. Oklahoma never had a chance in this game. It was it was over before it started. Welcome to the show, Craig. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done this. I think it's been at least a year, right? Yeah, it's it's been a while. Uh, no, we've had Zach. We've had the other right. the other yeah. Thunder guy on, but uh, it's been a while uh, since you've been on here with us. L- let me ask you this. Um, you you played at a much higher level than I ever played uh, in football. Uh, you you know, high school, college. Last game of the season, you're you're barely competitive in this game. Is this a situation? Do you just burn the film? I mean, do you, do you do you try to learn anything from this, or do you you're just like, man, I'm not looking at football for a week. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get the, the the spring semester started, and then I'll start doing my conditioning and and start looking at film of other things. But I mean, do you ever go back to this film and try to pull anything from it? I would. I would at least once. I think you should always watch film. doesn't matter the result, but I don't think it's one that you obviously don't want to sit on it for too long. And uh, But there is some things um, from the game last night that you could take and, and moving forward. And a lot of it, in my opinion, would actually be how the Sooners handled controversy in this game. Um, it did get out of hand in the second quarter, um, really towards the end of the first quarter, but really in the second quarter. But Leading up to that point, OU was in the game. You know, uh-huh. they gave up the quick touchdown after not scoring, but then they bounced back with another touchdown. And then it's like you had the penalty there, the, the, the no call, that is, on the, the pass interference, interference right. followed by an injury, followed by there was another something, a false start on offense or something, and then it was just complete snowball. Yeah. So I would look at it and say, we got to keep our heads straight. And I, I was watching the game with you, looking at you, and I said, this is a, a disaster. That back-to-back-to-back right there, they're not going to bounce back. In my opinion, as a coach or as a player, you have to look at that and say, how do we handle that situation differently in the future? So I, um, like I said, I I never played on any level uh, that you played in. You played in championship games. I made it, it, and you know this, I made it to the playoffs one time. My sophomore year of high school, I got to play in a playoff game, and we got thumped. We we lost 55-6 to to Lawton MacArthur. The only playoff game I've ever been in in my mm-hmm. whole life. So I don't know what it's like to hoist the golden trophy or anything like that. But I do remember I was a sophomore and I remember riding the bus back from Lawton going, man, this just sucks. This is the worst ever. But again, by the time spring, spring came around, that that memory was there. We didn't ever want to repeat that. Of course, we never made the playoffs again in my junior and senior year. But we knew, man. We just we don't ever want to feel that way again. Now this is going up. A, a, you've won championships. This is going up another level into college. You played college football. But again, what what's the worst? What's the worst loss that you ever remember playing in? And what do you do? Well, I mean, how how do you get that out of your head? Are we talking at any level? At, any level? Um, well, it would definitely come from high school for me. But are we talking like as far as a blowout or the most disappointing? Yeah, the, the worst like blowout loss, the biggest like, because I know you're probably your most disappointing loss sophomore year in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. But before that, I mean, thinking about a game that you played in that you're just like, man, that we just we didn't even we weren't ever competitive. In yeah, that I game. would have to go for um, my senior year against CCS. Um, our only loss of the season. And what sucked about that one is we shouldn't have ever even been playing them. They had moved up to 2A or 3A, so you know quite a bit above us. Uh-huh. They had like 60 guys on their sideline. We had about 25. And for whatever reason, though, I really thought that we were going to win. You know, there were times early in my career where we weren't very good, and you kind of do the pretend like, yeah, we're going to go out there and win, you know? But this was, a, for me at least, I believe that we were going to, beat CCS senior season last chance to to beat the team that had always been bullying us throughout my 
time there and then we just came out and absolutely got <laughs> destroyed and so that one that one hurt because you psych yourself up to think that you can do it and it turns out that that's not a realistic expectation and that's kind of how this OU game was in the fact that I at least thought the OU was going to be competitive in this game and it was the exact opposite. 100% I thought they were going to be competitive. If you listen to our, our podcast, the preview of this game, I, I picked Oklahoma to lose, but I had them losing by a touchdown. 42 to 35 was, I, you know, they had 42 points before you re- even had a chance to right. sit down with your nachos, it seemed like. <laughs> um, and again, I've been in a game like that. I, I was at the Orange Bowl when Oklahoma just got destroyed by USC, 55 to 19. I still remember that. The worst experience, game day experience of my life, no doubt. I've been at disappointing losses. I was there when when Bob Stoops kicked it to Tyreek Hill a second time. You know, I've I've been I was there in, in, in when Notre Dame won. Um, you know, in Norman, I, I mean, I've, I've been to disappointing losses. That was the only time I really feel like that's an embarrassing loss. I mean, I I left. I I left the game. There's only really. I'm trying to think. Make sure I say this right. There's one time in my life that I've left an OU football game before it ended. And that was in Miami. I was just like, I, I, I mean, I stayed through all the way through the third quarter. And when the fourth quarter started, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I, I, yeah, I can't. I, I'm in Miami, Florida. I'm watching this team just lay an egg. And I do remember this guy, I'm getting up to leave. And this guy's like, Hey, we're sooner fans. We don't quit. We don't quit in our team. Sit back down. And I just looked at him. I was like, dude, they quit on us. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. They quit on us. And I'm, you know, I'm leaving. And, and then you know, the stories came out afterwards, like Dan Cody saying, you know, talking to the, just run the ball, just run the ball and get this game over with, you know, and that's, that's I me. Mean, I'm a different generation than you. So you're, you've, you've basically lived the good life with Oklahoma. Um, you, you don't really remember the nineties per se. Right. Um, what's, what's for you? Because it's interesting, their your perspectives. What's the worst loss that you can remember? Besides yesterday. Besides, besides yeah, yesterday. Besides, besides this Peach Bowl, what's yeah. the worst loss before that moment? What was the – you're like, man, I just – this was – when I think of bad OU memories, I think of this. I would have to go with a game that we were together at, and it's the 2013 Cotton Bowl. Oh, yeah. Johnny Munzel. Yep. And – I think what was the final forty-one to man? I 13, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've blanked. I forgot about that one. I, yeah. We drove down that day mm-hmm. and then drove back that night, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, I would have to go for that, but we got to see Johnny Mansell put on a show. <laughs> <laughs> and if I remember right, that game started out okay. It was kind of like the one in Miami. Oklahoma took the lead on USC, and I I remember saying in in Miami, I remember saying. Uh, when OU scored first, I was like, man, USC plays in the Pac-12. Back then it was a Pac-10, I believe. And they're, and I was like, they, they don't – they haven't seen speed like what Oklahoma has. They haven't seen a team that brings this kind of speed. And then like halftime, I'm like, man, Oklahoma's not seen a team <laughs> that brings this – I mean, Reggie Bush is everywhere. And I can't remember that tight end. They had this massive tight end that they just it – was, it was embarrassing. Okay, uh, moving forward on, on this game. Uh, specifically breaking down, we're going to spend some time breaking down this game. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about next year, but several factors from from this game itself. Um, the defense. I said leading up to the game, the Delarian Turner yell injury, that was a bigger loss than Ronnie Perkins. And when you look at the way Justin Broyles was picked on in this game, and then Woody Washington after after Brindley Brendan Ranley Hiles was ejected. That that was look I, people were saying people were saying well it was more than just it was more than just Delarian Turner yell which I agree. But Delarian Turner yell was a big loss when you go back and you look at those touchdowns and you look at just how much success that LSU had attacking the safeties. Be it Woody Washington. I mean, Justin Broyles, I heard one guy say, well, Justin Broyles led the team in tackles. That's right, because he's yeah, the he's only the guy they ever threw at. Right. Um, that, that's just a huge loss. And I, to me, this defense never had a chance. Looking no, at uh, looking at how bad, just how I, – I keep thinking back to Alex Grinch back in the summer. I don't know if you remember, but Alex Grinch is like, 
he made a statement and said, look, we just don't have safeties. Beyond our, our, our top two guys, there's no one there. Yeah. And and Alex Grinch mentioned that as a concern. It, it, we saw it come in. And, and LSU, I mean, they had to have known. They had to have known, hey, this is it. This is where we're going to attack. This is the point of attack. And and there's just no other. I saw on Twitter someone said, man, just pull Justin Broyles and put somebody else in. There's nobody else. That was all we had, especially after Buki just we'll talk about Buki in a second, but after he gets ejected, I mean, do you see any? I mean, would would Ronnie Perkins have made a difference? I don't think so. I actually had that written down. I don't think that the suspension there made a difference. Um, and Turner Yell, yeah, that's a big loss. I think he would have done better, but I'm not sure it would have changed the outcome of this game in any way. There was a clip, I don't know if you saw it, of the LSU offensive coordinator sitting up in the booth, and he you can read his lips, they can't stop it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't going to happen, and that's when you, you can break down every bit of this game and go towards the offense and the struggles there, but it wouldn't have mattered. They would have scored at will. They could have scored 100 points if they wanted to. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. Jefferson, 14 receptions, 227 yards, four touchdowns. All four touchdowns came in the first half. And if I remember right, all four touchdowns were at the safety, right? I believe so. Yeah, they yeah. were all at Justin Broyles or Woody Washington. And and they just – I mean, look, I feel I feel worse for Woody Washington because he's a true freshman. Justin Broyles is a redshirt sophomore. He's been on campus for three years. And and he's a – by all accounts, he's a good kid. By all accounts, he's, he's one of those guys that just in your face talking trash mm-hmm. the whole time. But he's a good kid. But look, I mean, you you got to think. Is it? I mean, he's he's been on campus for three years now. Redshirt sophomore. This is the biggest moment of his collegiate career. Can you come back from that? I mean, is this guy? Is he mentally done? I mean, how do you come? I mean, you know, you know, you're the guy they picked on, and they they found a lot of success. I mean, four touchdowns, 227 yards, just one guy coming at you. Can you come back from that? I would. Hopefully, you know, but I mean, that's, that's something that's going to be definitely tough to overcome, but maybe it'll, you know, drive you, motivate you, uh, you know, have that drive to want to get better. But I would, uh, you know, I would go to the opposite and say, hopefully for Washington, the true freshman, that his confidence isn't completely shot. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, it's, I don't think even with a full, a healthy um, secondary, no suspensions at all on defense or on offense. I'm not sure that it makes a difference. In this well, game. I don't. I don't think LSU wins 63 to 28. But I right. do think if Delarian Turner yeah. yells in the game, they're not. This kid doesn't score four first half touchdowns on Delarian Turner. Yeah, I, I. I think, and I think that's that's what more than anything. That's it. What was exposed on on Saturday night was there's there's no depth on this defense. You, and and when you get beyond these starting 11 guys, the, the talent, there's a drop-off in talent or a drop-off in preparedness. You go from a DeLarian Turner yell to a Woody Washington, and, and there's, a, there's, a, you know, there's a big gap there. Right. And what – I mean, I, I was talking to one guy after the game, and he told me, he's like, well, yeah, but we got the number one and number two junior college guys coming in. Yeah, that's great. That's on the front end. It's not going to help you on the back end. This The biggest project for me – in my mind, with Alex Grinch, as they go from now to the spring, you still got some time. The signing period's not over with. You know, you, you, it does, you can sign more players in February. Biggest project that they've got going, they have to evaluate and develop players in that secondary. That's the biggest for, – for Alex Grinch – and, and again, I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I've been saying this from day one. You got to have different personnel. You got to have different player personnel. The schemes are good, and we've seen improvement with this defense right. throughout the season. It's just unfortunate that the national perception is still going to be Oklahoma can't play defense. Well, with that 11 guys they had on Saturday night, they can't. They just can't. Yeah. That looked a lot more like a Mike Stoops defensive game plan than an Alex Grinch game plan. But the reason why they're not dropping i mean they're not rushing so many is because you got so many holes in that secondary they have to develop depth and so going from again i'm just asking you about process okay going from the end of the season to the spring to the beginning of the next season what's the process with a with an athlete 
to get better? I mean, what, what are some things? Is it is it majority of the time in the film room? Is it spending time out working on technique? Is it is it in the weight or is it a combination of all of it? Yeah, I would definitely say it's a combination. But in in my opinion, the spring, um, the time off between in really athletes should be preparing themselves from now till spring physically. And when when spring comes around, that's when you start sitting down with coaches, evaluating film, looking forward into the fall. But um, so, yeah, I would say definitely as far as improving with, you know, speed and strength, that's all on the, the athlete right now to prepare himself to get ready for spring ball. Um, and again, it's just something that's going to take time, right? I mean, Alex Grinch hasn't even had a full off season here to mm-hmm. prepare that kind of thing and bring in those kind of guys. And I hope he has the time personally. I hope he's not out in a few years um, going on taking a head coaching job or something, because I really think he can develop something special. But like you said, that, you know, bringing in depth, filling up the roster, that's going to take some time. Yeah. That's a good point you make about Alex Grinch and that you hope he has time. You hope he's here. I really hope. And I think most Oklahoma fans are this way. I, I really hope that Alex Grinch is a lot like Brent Venables at Clemson. You know, he Brent, Brent Venables is happy thriving. to be at Clemson. Yeah. I mean, he's thriving, like you said. He's he's killing it on recruiting. He's got a great schematics. I mean, he has found his niche, his spot. I don't think Brent wants to go anywhere. I don't. Right. I I think he's making a ton of money. Yeah, and he's the highest paid assistant. Coach, yeah, right? and and so I just I hope Alex Grinch can see himself kind of in that role. Um, and again, the to me the most unfortunate thing. For Oklahoma is that perception. Right. This was a this was a a very and and we didn't even talk about Buki. I mean just just the stupidity of that play, and and when it, when you think about it, you think about the suspensions, you think about Buki's bad decision, and we've talked about how young this team is, particularly on the defensive. I mean, this is a team that. Ever since they bit Baylor, they beat Baylor. They didn't bite them. They beat them. Yeah. Ever since they beat Baylor, you've just seen a bunch of immaturity from these guys. Right. Is that fair? No. Yeah. I mean, I mean leading up to Buki's target, there's no, there was zero reason for Buki to make that. And and I saw people. I get it. I get being a fan. But again, I saw people on Twitter going, "Man, these refs suck. That was a clean. No, it wasn't. It's can... literally the definition of targeting. <laughs> I mean, I just don't I, look. If you if you look at that play. And you're mad that Buki got tossed. You're either extremely uninformed on the game of football, or you're just so crimson and cream glasses that you can't see straight. Yeah. Right? Agreed. Yeah. Season ends for Oklahoma football, but it's basketball season in Oklahoma. Sooners, Cowboys. I can't believe I said Cowboys. And Thunder. Thunder uh, actually looking pretty good. Um, they're... They're in full swing, and Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all within the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today. Here's the best part about it. When it's time to buy, new new users can enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout and receive a discount of up to $100. That's promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. Craig, you're half of the Thunder guys. Uh, you yes. and Zach do a great job at covering Oklahoma City Thunder. Thank we're you. we're talking Oklahoma, LSU, but I cannot have you on this podcast and not give you a chance. Take thirty seconds and tell somebody why they should go see the Thunder in person this year. You should definitely go see the Thunder in person this year because obviously tickets are a lot cheaper. <laughs> There's no longer that excuse. You can get some really uh, decent seats for not a high price, and also this team is very young and um, they're entertaining to watch. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander has a ton of talent. Steven Adams is, um, in my opinion, hitting, uh, the best stretch of his career he's playing this season. Um, so yeah, go check him out. There's a lot to be excited about in this new era of Thunder basketball. As a Thunder fan, are you, uh, are you wanting them to make a playoff run or are you just wanting them to get into the lottery? I used to be on the side of the lottery, but as we get more into the season, it's, 
I'm, I'm here's my thought. If you're gonna have to pay Chris Paul the thirty-eight million dollars, you might as well try to make the playoffs, right? That's too much money to pay a guy to, to try to go for a lottery pick. So, I'm all in on making the postseason at this point. Okay, uh, let's go back to uh, to Brendan Radley Hiles. Um, I I know in the heat of in the heat of battle, you do things. Um, and again, I I played on a I played on a low level compared to you. All right, I, my my very first game I ever started was in Taft Stadium. We were playing John Marshall, and um, th- this guy from John Marshall just kept he he kept hitting me. I was a receiver, and I was a receiver on a team that ran the option. Okay, yeah. And so uh, my job as a receiver was to block block the corner. I had the corner almost every play. Corner or free safety, just depending on what we did. And I remember I would get into the corner and try to turn him out, and he would just take his hands and just hit me on the ear hole, just just way like just. And and I remember telling the referee, man, just, he's got to you got to watch this, you got to stop it, you know, you, you, he's not supposed to be doing that. And I do remember, I, I I'll never forget the referee going, "You do your son, you do your job, son, and I'll do mine." I'm like, okay. And so like we we did we did beat uh, John Marshall. We were pretty good my sophomore year until we played Lot and Mac, and. Um, <laughs> It was late in the game, and I was like – I was a first-string receiver, and I was like a third-string defensive back. And so I only played defensive back when we were winning by a whole bunch or losing by a whole bunch. But we were in, and I was in the game at defense. They scored, and um, and they we were going to try to block the extra point. And so I was the guy that was supposed to come in. There was supposed to be a guy who cleared, and I'm coming in to make the dive. So I come in and make the dive, and we didn't block it. I rolled, and as I came back up, the guy that had been hitting me in the head all night long was just laying on the ground right there in front of me. And again, you do stupid things in the heat of in the heat of the moment, and so I just kicked him right in the head. And and <laughs> bottom bottom line is, I was ejected from the very first game I ever started. I mean, I was ejected. I was tossed. Um, did you ever do anything stupid? Anything that just like. Yeah, do you remember when that guy kept hitting me after after I would throw the ball for I don't know, it was, seemed like the whole game and then I same thing, I kind of saw him in a vulner, vul, vulner man. Vulnerable is the word Thank you're you. looking for. Yes. Good job and, there, Steven Adams. Um <laughs> and so I lunged at him and knocked his helmet off, his mouthpiece went flying. Um I did not get ejected. I did get a penalty and uh yeah, that was pretty stupid. But again, you're in the heat of the moment and you're mad and you have you see an opportunity and I think that's probably what happened in this case is he saw an opportunity I wish he would have been focused on tackling Joe Burrow for who sure ran for like 15 yards or something like that but it's it's an immature move you know it's something you got to learn from and did you hear about the post what he did after the yeah, game? Yeah, going and and well, yeah. cuz that's where I was going. So okay. after after the game Sorry, he I didn't goes to get ahead of you. Yeah, that's fine. Uh after the game he goes in the locker room and and he um apparently went to every player and apologized. So two questions. First of all, is he that big of a player that he thinks I mean I I I know he's burdened with guilt, okay? He gets ejected. Woody Washington, you got a true freshman in there. Um you got to move Justin Brawls over to the nickel. You got a true freshman there at safety. I get it, the, the schematics of it, but I don't think he made that big of a difference, honestly. I mean, as far as the outcome of the game, yeah, yeah I, no. X's and O's wise, schematic wise, I don't think he was that big of a deal. I was going to ask if you agreed with me on that. The second part of my question is, if you're his teammate, he comes to you, or you're Woody Washington, or you're Justin Broyles, you're Kenneth Murray, who's just given his heart and soul to this defense. What do you say to him in that moment? Is there anger? Are you angry at your teammate, or do you realize, do you realize like, hey, you know what? Yeah, it sucked, but I don't think it changed anything. What, what do you tell me? How's that locker room go now with with him? I would, I would be, I would accept the apology because I, I first of all, I don't think that's something that was all on him to go around and do that. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think there was anybody there saying, hey, this is what you should go do. Um, secondly, it's football is a, a brotherhood. And so I think it was more about him. He wanted to be out there taking that beating with them. As as bad as that sounds, you're in the locker room doing nothing, and your brothers are out there just having the worst night of their life, and you can't do anything about it. And so um, I would accept the apology because I felt like it came from a sincere place. Um, He did leave a lot of people out to dry, though, but it, it happens. Mistakes happen. 
Okay, you weren't um, you were not a big fan of the offensive game plan early in the game. Oklahoma comes out throwing the ball instead of running the ball, puts themselves behind the chains early, really kind of put themselves behind the scoreboard early as well, but not being able to stop LSU defensively. Uh, does that? I mean, I, I look at the offensive line, and I, I think Lincoln Riley knows what he has. He's got a bunch of young guys. The one thing we never saw from this offensive line in 2019. We never saw them become that cohesive unit right. that, that was, we've, yeah. we've seen. We're, we're used to I mean, We're accustomed to it. We never saw that happen. We, we, in my opinion, we never saw this offensive line just gel together. You remember, I mean, I can go back to Orlando Brown. I, I can go back to Cody Ford. Those lines, and you, there's plays where that line has two or three or sometimes four defenders just pinned to the ground and just sitting on them mm-hmm. just well on their their job was to not just to beat you but to humiliate you we never really saw that from this line they had a hard time keeping pressure off of Jalen Hurts they had an impossible time of just opening up anything in the middle to run when you look at this game plan and I'm with you I'm, I'm thinking stretch the field go 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 sideline to sideline make those defensive linemen chase you. Even if you don't get a gain, they've still had to chase you towards the boundary. I mean, look, you're not Lincoln Riley. I'm not Lincoln Riley. What would you have done different though? I, right. Like you said, we're not Lincoln Riley. I think despite what I thought was a bad game plan, I think he's still the greatest offensive mind in college football right now. Um, I think there's a small chance. And when we see that they came out, started off the game passing, um, they were never able to establish a run game. I'm wondering if that is almost Lincoln Riley knew that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, LSU's got some – those are some big boys those, on the defensive yeah, line yeah. there. I mean, I kind of wonder if, like you said, he knows what he has. Was that the plan from the beginning to um, to try to pass the football? And we saw a lot of screens underneath, even running um, CeeDee Lamb across the field. It didn't work out because there still wasn't enough time. Right. Um, I think – there's a chance that Lincoln Riley kind of overthought in the game plan instead of just sticking to what, what they do. And um, you, you look at the Baylor game, the first half was very similar to what we saw early from Oklahoma's offense, but they mm-hmm. got back to what they back to their roots and m- mounted that comeback. And I think Lincoln Riley just hit the panic button too early in this one. He may have had a flashback of when he's let, you know, the Georgia playoff mm-hmm. game. I think that was kind of popping into his mind, and I think that altered his play call. Did you see whenever the interception on the trick play? Right. He, he was smiling on the sideline. He knew. He knew what he had done. And if I was Lincoln Riley, I would go back and just stick to stick to the basics. Jalen Hurts was averaging five or six yards per carry. Right. But he didn't run the ball very much. Yeah. And so I think um, – they just dug themselves too deep of a hole, and at that point, you can't go back. Yeah, Jalen Hurts, 15 or 31 on the night, 217 yards and an interception. Uh, we came on the trick play that you just mentioned. Also, 14 carries for 43 yards. Oklahoma's leading rusher, two rushing touchdowns. First time, I, I if I remember right, I saw this uh, after the game. First time since they played Clemson in the – was it the Champ Sports Bowl – that uh, like first that, yeah. time since that first Clemson bowl, not the playoff version uh, that Oklahoma has played a bowl game without passing for a touchdown city Lamb four catches, 119 yards gets held out of the end zone. I CD lamb has got to be the bright spot for that. I mean, if you're looking for an offensive player of the game, even though he didn't score, I hated it. That final play that's just wide open. And he, I mean, it's, you know, and, and I love this about Lincoln Riley, because Jalen Hurts came to the sidelines and he said, thank you. Because basically they said, hey, we're going to give you one more shot. You go deep to CeeDee. This is your chance to go out. You One play, you go deep, hit CeeDee Lamb. And the beautiful pass, and, and it was so uncharacteristic for CeeDee Lamb. Hit him right in the hands. He drops it. And CeeDee Lamb immediately disappointed. But Jalen Hurts, as he's coming to the sideline, that was first down. And then they made this transition to Spencer Rattler. Um but you just saw Jalen Hurts say to Lincoln Riley, thank you, like, thanks for the chance, you know. Yeah. Uh, but still, CeeDee Lamb is my offensive player of the game. Um, I don't think there's – I don't even think it's close. No, I, I agree. I mean, that catch early in the game was was big. Uh, would have liked to get into the end zone on it, but we did later on. Um, but, yeah, in, in an offense where there wasn't too much going on, Lamb was the one guy who stood out the most. So – 
um, sticking with that, interesting decision by Lincoln Riley just to kind of throw in the towel so that it was over. Everybody knew it was over at halftime. But kind of pulled Jalen off the field and put Spencer Rattler in. Tanner Mordecai has been your backup quarterback. He's been QB2 all season long, and, and we understand why, because right. you, only, you only get four games of Spencer Rattler. Yeah. But it's interesting that in that moment, you're, you're going with Rattler and not Mordecai. Uh, did you see Mordecai's face? Did, I did. you see he had transfer portal, portal written all That's over what I'm asking. That's yeah. did is it are we are we now officially in the Spencer Rattler era? Of course. And that's something that like you said we kind of knew all season long the reason that Mordecai was coming in the games was to save uh make sure that Rattler doesn't play in more than 4 games. And knowing that, I don't think the decision to put him in was very surprising because Lincoln Riley knows that Oklahoma's going to be back in the college football playoff. Like he said in the post game, they've got the OU DNA or whatever. They always find championship a way to, DNA championship well, yeah. DNA. Yeah, they'll they'll be back. And even though it was for what three plays, he threw the ball. He ra- ran for a first. Oh. Yeah, he ran for a first down, threw the ball a couple times. Even though that wasn't significant minutes, whenever OU's in the playoffs again and Spencer Rattler is in charge of the offense, that will not be his first time playing in a college football playoff game. And to me, that's why you make that decision to do it. Although, yes, it kind of takes away the quarterback battle, um, probably more well, tight. Yeah, because here's what we're going to be told. We're, we're going to be told going into spring, there's oh, a it's neck and neck, yeah. Mordecai and Rattler. There's, I mean, they're they're right there. And if Oklahoma does sign a quarterback in 2020, I still think they will. Whoever it is, whether it's Chad Morris or whoever, uh, not Chad Morris, uh, Chandler Morris, Chad's son, um, Whoever they end up signing, you're gonna you're gonna hear it in the fall. Uh, we got three guys, you know, we got four guys, and we just don't know. They're all just one compliments the other. Well, one's weak, one's strong, and, and this is gonna go all the way until the week of school starts, and they're gonna be oh, Spencer Rattler is a starting quarterback. Right. At that moment, it's too late to hit the transfer portal. So if you're Tanner Mordecai and you've seen that happen with Kyler Murray. You've seen it happen with Jalen Hurts, and you know they're going to drag this out. I mean, look, you've been in quarterback battles. You've you've been on the practice field. You've been through spring. You've been through fall camp. You know where you are. I mean, you know where you want to be, but the realistically, you know where you are. I think my gut says it, and Richard and I have gone back and forth arguing on this. I, I think after spring, Mordecai's gone. I would agree. After the the Peach Bowl, is there a chance he's gone before the spring? Could be, yeah. I mean, like you said, they're probably still going to drag out the quarterback battle, but we've known all season long him coming in the game and the, the towards the end is is all that we need to know that he's the next man up, and I think rightfully so. I mean, we've not seen the guy, you know, play too much, but I mean, you you've seen what he's capable of doing, and so. If I'm Mordecai, I'm 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 definitely looking elsewhere. Like you said, you know, you know, they, they coaches are going to tell you one thing. I tried to change positions in college, and I kind of got the whole we haven't even gotten into this and this yet. But you know where you're going to fall whenever that final day comes, and so I, I assume that Mordecai knows as well. Oklahoma started 11 players on offense, obviously. Do you know how many of those 11 players were sophomores? Oh, a lot. Eight of the 11 wow. were sophomores. You had, uh, obviously, Jalen Hurts and, and R.J. Proctor as your two um, your two seniors. Obviously, Hurts is your quarterback, left tackle, R.J. Proctor. CeeDee Lamb Jr. at the X receiver. Everyone else a sophomore. Oh, the future's still bright for Oklahoma. I mean, this is, this is a, a team that's young. Between the 22 guys that started offense and defense, you got four seniors on the field and the starting 22. This is a team. I agree with Lincoln Riley. Hey, we've got championship DNA. Lincoln Riley sees what he's got. I've got a bunch of sophomores. I've got a bunch of underclassmen out here, and we're gonna we're gonna hit it. We're we're gonna hit it, and we're gonna hit it hard. And they know what they're building. We've talked we've talked defensively what needs to happen with Alex Grinch needing to really develop. That secondary develop depth in the secondary. I think when you look at the linebacker position, I think when you look at at the defensive line position, granted they still need to do some work there, but those those two possessions, 
positions, defensive uh, line and linebacker, are so far ahead of the secondary that it's literally night and day difference yeah. to notice. When you flip the side to the offensive side of the ball, where do you see the priority as because you're an offensive guy? So you're losing Jalen Hurts. You're you're probably losing C.D. Lamb. What do you, what's the development there on the offense? Where where do you start to say, hey, this is priority going into spring is the, this position right here? What is it for you? I think you got to go with the offensive line. And again, they're they're very young. Um, it's a young group there, and with time, I do believe that they will um, kind of get that unification that you were talking about that we've seen in the past. And they showed moments uh, this season. I'm trying to think. Well, specifically the Baylor game, where that, I mean, that was the offensive line leading that run game. But how do you get that over the twelve, the stretch of a 14, 15 week season? And that comes with experience, in my opinion. And I mean, when you look at the wide receiver, we've there were so many different young receivers who caught the ball this season. And then you look at Spencer Rattler, unproven but talented. We know what Lincoln Riley can do with the quarterback. So I would say the main focus has to be on the offensive line because none of that comes together without a strong, you know, front core there. So I would go with the offensive line. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think that's that's where it starts. And 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 I look at this, I look at this unit, and I think. Man, they just and, and for me, I, I I'm the guy that I said preseason that this could be a year that you know Creed Humphrey only a redshirt sophomore, but the fact that he is a redshirt sophomore, he can go in the NFL. He's draft eligible. Yeah. And I thought this would be a year that he would really just kind of maybe put put himself into a first round, second round pick. I don't think he's done that. Do you agree with me on that? Yeah. Yeah. And so you look at four of the five starters in in this game coming back next year, and and so that that puts you, in my opinion, we we talk about Bill Beatenbow, we talk about the way he's developed his offensive line, and and one of the things that made that group with Cody Ford, that group with Orlando Brown, one of the things that made them so good is they had multiple years of development as starters. Mm-hmm. And so for four of the five guys, and really when you throw Tyrese Robinson in there, he's had starting experience. This is a line that you got to think next year, if they develop in the spring, like everybody expects them to, if they develop in fall camp, like everybody expects them to next year. And then 2021, you got to be thinking Roy Moore, Roy Moore award that this will be one that one of the best, if not the best offensive lines in the country. Is that, I mean, is that, Coming off of a, just a 63 to 28 shellacking and saying, yeah, I probably have the best offensive line in the country next year. Is that too far of a stretch? I don't think so at all. I mean, especially when you've seen what Oklahoma has done and, and they've proven to to be able to have uh, one of the best offensive lines in the nation. I don't think that's a far stretch at all. Okay, so a couple of guys who have some decisions to make. Um, you know, we know Jalen Hurts is gone. He, I mean, and and wish him nothing but the best. Well, I want to come back to and we'll talk more specifically about Jalen Hurts here in just a minute. But I'm just going to go through this list, and you tell me just your gut, staying or going, okay? And if you want to say why, say say why. Uh, Ceedee Lamb going because he's the best receiver in college football, in my opinion. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, we talked about him, but I just want to hear your thought. Creed Humphrey. I would say staying. Okay. Uh, going to the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, you know, you're losing Neville Gallimore off that defensive line, but Kenneth Murray, big decision. What do you think? I'm going to say that he's leaving, but I've already seen your full list there. And I think he's of the people that are going, I think he's the most eligible to stay because Mm -hmm. I saw the look in his face as he walked off the field and it, it, it was a look of, we've got more work to do. I could be wrong. You know, whenever he gets evaluated and sees where he could go in the draft, that could change, but I he does strike me as a guy who wants to come back and, and win it all. Yeah, and, and he's a guy that that I think if you made me if you made me pick right now, I'm saying he's leaving. Right. But That's where I'm at. but I think I don't think he was draftable last year. Everyone would just got caught up in just the, the freak of a athlete that he is, his build and his mm. speed. But I don't think he was draftable last year. I think this year he went from being undraftable – and the reason why – I guess I should explain that. The reason why I didn't think he was draftable was just because he didn't know the X's and O's. He, right. he just didn't know the fundamentals, and he still has some pursuit issues. You go back to that Baylor game 
early on in that game. He's he's not getting the right angle. He's not gap sound at times. So I think he went from non-draftable to a guy who could be a, a third-round pick um, to maybe a guy who, if he comes back, could win the Butkus Award and be a legitimate first-round pick. Right. So I think with Kenneth Murray, it's he made money this year. The question is, how much money does he want to make? Right. Because CeeDee Lamb's going to get guaranteed first-round money. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts is not going to get that. I, I, I'm thinking. I will see what the combine does for Jalen Hurts, but I don't see Jalen Hurts as being a first-round guy. CeeDee I Lamb, know. I see him, first-round guy. Neville Gallimore, first-round guy. That's guaranteed NFL contract money. Kenneth Murray can watch that and go, hmm. I can third, fourth round picks. You basically make the team, but nothing's guaranteed. Right. I mean, you get yeah. that signing bonus. And if you look at, go back and you look at a fourth round pick signing bonus, as opposed to a first or even a second round pick signing bonus, night and day difference. I think, I think Kenneth Murray, you talked about the drive to win a championship. One thing that we don't talk about with Kenneth Murray is the quality of the individual as well. He, yep. he, he goes and I saw him. I watched him do it Saturday night. He goes and congratulates or consoles mm-hmm. every head coach he plays, yep. be it the ones we don't like, like Austin, Texas guys, um, or be it the ones we do like. And I'm a big fan of Ed Orgeron. You know, um, he he does that. What he didn't leave the field when OU played Army in 2018. He didn't leave the field until he he shook the hands of every Army player. Quality individual, good head on his shoulders. I agree with you. I think th- of all these underclassmen, he probably has the biggest chance of coming back. Um, yeah, and just to take this a step further, when you look at being a third or fourth round draft pick, most of those guys that go, I, mean, I, I look at Tony Jefferson, who left early to be. Was yeah, he, he wasn't even drafted. Okay. Yeah. Right. Kenny Stills um, went with him. Yeah. And he went in like fourth. Right. And both both of those guys are doing well in the mm-hmm. NFL for themselves right now. I think that he falls into that same category in the fact that he could go in the third and fourth, and he has the work ethic. He has the obviously he has the physical build the build for it. Right. But the difference is Kenny Stills and Tony Jefferson weren't going to come back to another national championship caliber team. And I think if you look at the young talent that Oklahoma has, the improving defense it may be enough to say, not only can I come back and improve my draft stock and make myself more money, but I do have a legitimate shot at being back in the playoffs again and getting another go at it. Right. Um, okay, so let, let's 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 go from there to here because you're talking about 2020 being back in the playoffs. This is some things that I, we were hit with last night on our Twitter account. You're now Oklahoma. You're 0-4. You're, I mean – own it, okay? You're the Buffalo Bills of college, of the yeah. college football playoffs. However, I would I would contest that the Buffalo Bills actually made it to the Super Bowl, okay? <laughs> it wasn't just going to the playoffs and losing. Um, does that come into play a year from now when you're hitting Thanksgiving week and that playoff committee is trying to decide who's in and who's out? Does that come into play when you look at Oklahoma? Eh, they're 0 for 4, and they have failed to be competitive in their last two. Here's Oregon. Right. You know, or, or here's Utah like it was this year. Does does it come into play at all to hurt Oklahoma? I definitely think if – yeah, if there's if there's one in the loss column, definitely. There's no way if OU runs the table and wins the Big 12 championship, they're not getting in ever. Right, right. I agree. I, mean, I, I agree. Mean, I mean, if, if that's not true, then this whole thing is broken. But, yeah, I definitely think if you're looking at a one-loss team um, in December, then I'm not sure that – and if there's another eligible team, they may consider that. And I don't even know if that's fair. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, But, now, I mean, I think OU fans definitely can relate to how Notre Dame felt a year ago. And I was even one of those guys like, oh, they should never make it again, you know? And right. now that it, OU's in that spot, it's uh, it's tough. So, yeah, I think you got to run the table. Well, and, and I here's my, my thought on that. My response was, look, as long as it's a minimum of four teams – OU is going to be in the conversation because I, I don't see Oklahoma going anywhere. I mean, I, under Lincoln Riley and, and Oklahoma fans have to realize this is the longest. I, I'm I'm going to throw it out at your generation. You're 23 mm-hmm. years old. You, again, you don't remember the 90s. OK, but I'm going I'm to throw this out just to see if you know. Right now, Oklahoma has been to a bowl game every year since 1999. It's the longest streak in Oklahoma football history. Mm-hmm. Okay. You with me on this? Yeah. 
Do you know what the second longest – just number of games. Do you know what the second longest bowl streak was for the University of Oklahoma? Five. Close. It's eight. See, I thought eight initially, but <laughs> I went with five. It's eight. Dang. So they've more than doubled the longest bowl streak. And and that's one thing that – you know Texas, Texas can say what they want to say. But they're still Texas, all right? A&M, good riddance. You and I talked about this. Uh, A&M, they just beat Oklahoma State for their 19th bowl win as a program. They've all, they've just won their 19th bowl game. One of the things that you can't overlook is the longevity of this program. How long there, – there's – Alabama hasn't been as relevant as long as Oklahoma has continuously – I, I'm saying all that to say this. I don't think Oklahoma's going anywhere. I don't. And as long as there's a minimum of four teams, I think there's going to be discussion of going to eight. I don't think that's necessary. I'd th- love to see eight. I just don't think. It would be fun. It would be fun, but the we reality might get is. a playoff win. The reality is. <laughs> that's that's true. But the reality of the situation is with four. I mean, I, I'm an OU fan, okay? I, I'm a season ticket holder. I, I cover this team. They they were the fourth team in the playoff, and it was a long – I mean, there was a gap between Oklahoma and then Ohio State and Clemson and LSU. There's a gap there. And that's the way it's been. for. I mean, there's been your top right. one or two teams, and then I don't really feel like anyone else well, is that close to getting over and, the edge. And that's where I'm going. Because because of Oklahoma, because of the name brand, because of the, the – the, See, this is where I disagree with a lot of people. I think the Big 12 is a quality conference, and a lot of people don't. That said, I, I the Pac-12 hasn't done anything. You know, the Pac-12, the Pac-12, in my opinion, is by far the lowest of the Power Five conferences. If you take Clemson out of the ACC, the ACC is a terrible conference. Mm-hmm. Now, Clemson, I believe, is the best team in the country. I've been saying that for a while now. But that's a terrible conference. you got all these people saying Oklahoma needs to lead the Big 12. The Big 12 doesn't prepare them to play on the national scene like this. I don't agree with that. Because if that was the case, then Clemson wouldn't be what doing what they're doing. Right. Because the ACC, I promise you, the ACC is not preparing Clemson for the national scene. Clemson is just really that good. And, and what, what did everybody say about Clemson all season long? Well, they haven't been tested. They haven't played anybody. That's why they dropped the number from number one to number three. I love Dabble Swinney saying to his guys on that, quote, selection Sunday, he's like, guys, congratulations. You're the first defend, You're the first undefeated defending national champion to ever drop from number one to number three. Congratulations for that. But it was all about perception, how bad the ACC is. If Clemson can build into a national power in the ACC, there's no reason why Oklahoma can't build into a national power in the Big 12. Understand what you've got. Let, let's talk to Texas A&M. Let's talk. Well, Texas A&M probably still thinks you're the best team in the SEC. They're not. That's not a good. Let's let's talk to Nebraska. Let's talk to Colorado. Let's talk to Missouri. Those guys all thought that the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. And, and again, what a lot of people don't realize. Do you know who played in the very last before? The, they reinstated it a couple of years ago. 2010 was the final Big 12 championship game. You know who played in that game? Nebraska. Oklahoma and Nebraska. Nebraska hasn't sniffed the conference championship in the Big 10. Yeah. Colorado played in the Big 12 championship game. They've not sniffed it in the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is terrible. Missouri has not sniffed the SEC championship game. The grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. Appreciate what you've got and build with what you've got. Not Be- only that, but I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You lose a lot of recruiting ties when you – Absolutely. You know, you're not moving where you're at, but your schedule and everything else is completely changing, and that changes the whole – your grounds of your recruiting. Well, and again and – I, I think that's what happened to the teams you're mentioning, look, Nebraska. And, watching you go through your recruiting process really changed my philosophy on high school kids and recruiting because – I was a guy who thought, I don't care if you got Jordan Brand. I don't care if you got Nike. I don't care if you got a – I remember the very first school that recruited you and they said, hey, we're a Nike school. And you're like, really? You know, that, that meant a lot to you. But another thing that meant a lot to you was location. You chose the school you chose based off of location, based off of your family being able to come and see you play and being around you for holidays right. and stuff like that. 
So you're telling these kids, hey, you're going to go to Morgantown once a year. That's as far as you're going to go is Morgantown, but once a year. But then you jump in the SEC. Oh, you're going to South Carolina. You're going to Florida. You're going to Alabama. You go to the Pac-12. Oh, you're going to California. You're going to Utah. You're going to Washington. You're going to Oregon. Big Ten. You're going to Minnesota. You're going to all these Dallas kids, all these Houston kids, all these, you know, Texas kids. They're not jumping on board for that. So it does make a good a good point about where you go to play college football and how how important family is. That said, we're going to close out talking about family, talking about location, and talking about one guy, one final year. Was it a success? Was it good or was it bad for the University of Oklahoma? The Jalen Hurts experiment has officially come to a, conclu- to a conclusion at the University of Oklahoma. I'm just going to throw this out at you, Craig. We got 10 minutes left to talk about this. Was it a success or was it a failure? I think you have to go with success. Tell me why. Um, why? Because I really feel like this is a 9-3, and 10-2 at best team without Jalen. Are you disagreeing? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think they're 9-3. and three. Without Jalen Hurts. You think they're worse than that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you get what I'm saying, though. Right. OU was not making the playoffs this season without Jalen Hurts. And despite getting embarrassed in the game, losing four in a row, making the playoffs is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody from the outside who hasn't touched the playoffs wants to say about it. You can't tell me that being one of the four teams chosen isn't good for recruiting. Um I mean, we I haven't seen much about this year, but I know for sure last year when OU lost to Alabama, you had recruits clarifying, like, this doesn't change anything. Right. The fact that OU lost, we're still all in on this. And so I say you have to go with success. Um, another Heisman runner-up, um, he we saw a guy who I don't think it should have ever been questioned, but it was questioned how dedicated he was to Oklahoma. Was he just there to play football or was he there to play for the university? And I think you saw as you got into the OU Texas game that he really fully embraced the role of what it meant to play for Oklahoma. And then leading into that comeback win against Baylor, he jumped up in the crowd and had the fans all over him. You saw a guy become, you know, what Oklahoma football is. And so I have to say it was a success. Yeah, I'm on board with you. I mean, like the University of Oklahoma, um, there, there's one goal. And that one goal is to win a national championship. And I, sorry, I left out a Big 12 championship fifth in a row. I, I don't know how I forgot that one, but. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's a good point. The Big 12 championship is always the primary goal. And Bob Stoops always said, you don't, you don't make it to the national championship if you don't win the Big 12 right. championship. And I think that's the way it should be. Across the board, I don't feel like you should be in the college football playoff if you're not a conference champion. And and people talking about, hey, it needs to be eight teams or 16. You, you've, I mean, you basically can say it's eight teams with a conference championship games. You make that a criteria because if you win, you're in. If you lose, you're out. I mean, it's obviously there's five power five conferences, mm-hmm. so you got to figure that out some way. But I think the conference championship should be a de facto elimination game, so to speak. But agreed. And every year we see, like maybe three or four weeks before the final, you're seeing it to where it looks like, man, we need eight teams, mm-hmm. and then it always works. It always it, dwindles out. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And that's it, and that's what I kept saying when everyone was like, man, Utah, we can't beat you. Yeah, you can. Win out, and you're going to beat Utah. I, I I firmly believe, I still believe, even with the way it played out, if Utah wins the Pac-12, which they didn't, but if they did, and Oklahoma wins the Big 12, I believe Oklahoma was in. And and I think that's that's going to be the, the story for Oklahoma. That's what I'm saying. As long as there's a minimum of four, Oklahoma's going to be in the conversation. Yeah. I'm not saying they're going to get in it every year, but they are going to be in the conversation. But Jalen, go back to Jalen Hurts. He's a success story. This this project was a success, and here's the reason why. You talked about the college football playoff. You talked about the Big 12 championship. I think the future is bright for Spencer Rattler. I really do. I I watched him. uh, I followed him in high school on his recruiting. I saw the film. I've seen him in person. I've seen him, you know, I've sized him up, so to speak. This kid, I believe, is the real deal. And go back to the one throw he made that was completed in in this Peach Bowl. That that ball's on a rope. You're a quarterback. You know what it takes to throw that kind of pass. But he's not getting Oklahoma to the playoffs as a true freshman. 
He, I, I, I think, I think the, I think the future, the, the sky's the limit, really, with this kid. But he's not a Trevor Lawrence. He doesn't have one of the things that made Trevor Lawrence so great as a true freshman was the other ten guys around him. Right. Those ten guys were not there for Spencer Rattler in 2019. Mm-hmm. We just went through that list. Eight of the eleven guys that started this national championship semifinal game were sophomores. That's who's going to battle with Spencer Rattler in 2020. But he wasn't ready for that in 2019. And we talked about, you know, we we talked about Justin Broyles. We talked about Woody Washington. Can you get beat that bad and come back from it? Can you bounce back from it? I would think. I've never played the position. Again, I was a blocking wide receiver, okay? I would think the most difficult thing to do in football is have a terrible, not just a terrible game, but a terrible season at the quarterback position and come back from it. Right. If he would have been the starter this year, no, you goes, you know, eight and four or whatever. I think you're looking at seven or eight wins this year, honestly, without, without Jalen Hurts. What does that do for his confidence? And instead he was able to sit behind a great mentor. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jalen Hurts is an outstanding guy. hundred percent. Just maybe better off the field than he is on the field. (laughs) Who knows? But uh, I mean, you're right. That's a great point. I didn't think about that is the kind of mentorship that took place this season. Yeah. And and again, just it's a success for two reasons. Number one is it's a success because there's no other quarterback on that roster that's getting Oklahoma to a fifth consecutive fifth consecutive Big 12 title and a third consecutive college football playoff appearance. And Oklahoma didn't lose the Peach Bowl because of Jalen Hurts. Right. They lost the Peach Bowl because of the defense. That's another story for another day. But the second reason I believe that this was a success was for Jalen Hurts personally. He wanted wanted to improve his NFL draft stock. And that's what he did. There There was one place that he could go to to really boost his draft stock. There was the only place he could go to to substantially boost his draft stock. That was the University of Oklahoma. And so for the for the program, it worked out. I, I get it. Everyone wants to see Spencer Rattler. The backup quarterback is always the most popular mm-hmm. guy on the football team. You're going to see plenty of Spencer Rattler. But Jalen Hurts getting Oklahoma to the playoff was exactly what the plan was. And for Oklahoma, getting Jalen Hurts into the NFL draft at a higher pick. That's what the plan was, and that's what happened. He is set now to go to the combine. They're going to be impressed with his strength. They're going to be impressed with his his maturity. There are guys like Jalen Hurts making a lot of money in the NFL. Dak Prescott in Dallas, yep. not a great thrower. He's in a, he, he can he can get the ball in spots, but he's not a great thrower. But what makes Dak Prescott so dangerous is what he could do with his legs if the Cowboys had an offensive coordinator who would allow him to do that. <laughs> Cam right. Newton, not a great thrower, but a physical freak of an athlete, led the Panthers to the Super Bowl. There are guys, there's a model of success in the NFL for guys like Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts needed to be in a place where he could be put on a pedestal and let everybody see. That last throw to CeeDee Lamb, that was on a dime. That pass was not completed because of CeeDee Lamb, right. not because of Jalen Hurts. And NFL scouts going to look at that and say, that was a good throw. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's going to wrap it up for us. Craig, thanks so much for hanging out and talking football. You're the only guy of all the Heartland sports guys. You're the only guy who can tell us what it's like to be a college football player. So I'm going to ask you two questions. Well, actually I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to ask you to, to give us some information. Here's the question. The question is, what is the hardest part of being a college football player? All right. Mm -hmm. The information is you guys do a great job. It's full on basketball season now. How can people find out about the Thunder guys and your coverage and your own podcast? Okay. Hit those up. Hardest part about being a college football player is managing your time for sure. Um, You have, I think it was a maximum of 30 hours a week that you could spend with football activities. Like past that was a violation. And then you're looking at your full, you have to be a full-time student unless you're a graduate. So you're going to throw in those minimum of 13 hours right there. That puts you at, what, 43? And then um, I would assume it's kind of the same structure at most places, but all freshmen and underclassmen basically had to do mandatory study study hall hours. So you're looking at 40 to 50 hours a week, which is, you know, a typical workload, I guess, if you're in – but 
it's a whole lot more physically demanding as well. So I would say finding the best way to utilize your time is the hardest part about being a college athlete. As for the Thunder guys, we're on Twitter at the Thunder guys. We also write um, the Thunder basketball stuff for sports dash heartland heartland dash sports. Man, I don't even know the website. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And yeah, you can find our stuff on Twitter. Um, We post all of our podcasts onto uh, you can find the link through Twitter, but it's on Stitcher, it's on um, Apple Podcast, it's on Spotify. So just about anywhere you can stream it, you can find us. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks so much for being a part of the, of the show. We'd love to hear your feedback. You could hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. You can uh, drop comments at, at heartland-sports.com. Uh, please give us a rating, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, wherever you find us. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend and uh, I guess a great week now that we're uh, hitting uh, back uh, to New Year's. Oh, happy New happy Year's. New Year. yeah. Boomer Sooner, everybody. <laughs>